All right, guys, so today we're going to talk about sleep disorders. Um, and the reason that this is kind of a short lecture is because a lot of these meds uh, we cover either I've already covered or will be covering in when we get to like mood disorders, depression, and things like that. Um, so we're not going to go over a lot of the meds. So these are just some definitions. Um, these definitions are going to be completely and totally irrelevant for your exam. Um, so why are they here? Uh, because they were in the book, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Um, I like how I say hey, we're going to be serious for the recording and then like five seconds into the lecture. Yeah. So primary insomnia, I mean insomnia in general is just the inability to either initiate or maintain sleep or both um, if you're really unlucky. Um, so starting to fall asleep, that was a really loud pain, right? That was really loud. Like, um, it's okay. And then so start or keep sleeping. Um, that's primary. Secondary insomnia, it's, it's the same thing, just it's caused by something else you're doing. Um, be it a medication you're taking or something, coffee or drinking, whatever the case may be, some other medical condition you might be suffering from. Um, apparently there's a difference between nightmares and night terrors. Um, nightmares, you remember them. Um, and apparently nightmares happen later in your sleeping cycle. Um, and you stay, or you wake up from them and remember them. And apparently night terrors, and usually nightmares are not associated with any kind of motor function or activity while you're sleeping. Whereas with night terrors, usually you're like screaming and flailing, you don't remember it, it looks like you woke up, but you didn't, and usually occurs earlier in the sleep cycle. Um, is that relevant at all for anything you're going to be doing on this exam? No. Um, nocturnal myoclonus, uh, people who kick you in their sleep, or just have shaky legs while they're sleeping. Uh, sleep apnea, uh, medical conditions that uh, presents as periods of you not breathing while you're sleeping, um, which may be concerning or may not be concerning depending on the severity, um, but usually has a lot to do with several different factors that you guys are going to learn about um, in different medicine classes, but thickness of the neck, um, patients who are overweight, and also developmental differences in the soft palate where it can kind of obstruct the, the airway while patients are sleeping. Um, sleep apnea is not really treated with any medications we're going to talk about. Uh, they're treated with uh, machines that help the patient sleep better while they're sleeping or through surgical correction if that's a possibility. Uh, as well as lifestyle modifications. Narcolepsy, um, people who just fall asleep in the middle of whatever they're doing. Um, I wish I could do that, that'd be awesome. If I could just be here in class and then just, man, just take a 30, you know? Um, so just falling asleep in the middle of any activity, um, and it happens frequently throughout the day. Um, you may think you know people like this, but it's not just people who like are sitting there and just fall asleep because they're tired. Like this is legitimately like they can't. Like it can be something very important, they're driving and they're just like, bam. So, it's a, it's a medical condition. It's not just people that are like really tired and sleep deprived. Oh, I was gonna say just come back to PA school. Be easy day for you. There you go. Um, jet lag. Uh, jet lag goes hand in hand with circadian rhythm. So circadian rhythm is our natural sleep cycles that develop shortly after birth. Um, it's a 24-hour cycle of waking and sleeping, which can be affected by many things. So people who have like late-night jobs or work overnight. Um, I don't know if any of you guys ever worked overnight, but it really messes up your, yeah. I still, I did it for seven years as a security guard overnight, and I still can't sleep. Yeah, I don't know why. My sleep is all messed up. Is that a call center? Yeah. 
Oh, you work overnight. Now, no, thank God. But I still can't sleep. See the security at the hard rock. That sounds fun, though. It was fun. Every weekend. So, parasomnias is essentially. So, undesirable physical events essentially means sleepwalking or other motions or movements that you do while you're in your sleep. So, in terms of treating patients who have sleeping disorders, um, or insomnia specifically, the ideal medication that you would give them would knock them out quick, so you would fall asleep fast, you would stay asleep, um, you would have absolutely no side effects, and you'd wake up the next day and you wouldn't feel groggy, um, and it wouldn't interact with many medications you take. Unfortunately, that doesn't really exist. Um, so the other medication we're going to talk about, either a have one of those negative consequences to it. Maybe they don't work as fast as they should, or maybe they work fast, but they don't keep you asleep. Or maybe they work fast and keep you asleep, but when you wake up, you don't feel rested, so what was the point to begin with? Um, so that's kind of what we're going to focus on with a lot of these uh, medications. Oh, and the other thing is tolerance. So uh, some of these medications are either addictive, or over time, patients build tolerance to them, and they lose their efficacy over time, um, which is another issue with, with a lot of the sleep medications. So these are the different medication and medication classes that we're going to talk about. The benzodiazepines, which we shortly covered. Um, pretty much everything that has a Z and ends in AM. All right. I wish most all of them ended in PAM, because that would be easier. Um, but they don't. But you still got the AM and you have a Z in all of them. So they're pretty easy to pick out if you focus on the generics. Um, but I will do my best to keep the brand names on there too. Uh, you have the non-benzodiazepine GABA agonist. Um, these medications are a lot of the more commonly prescribed medications you're going to see. Benzos are used a lot for insomnia, um, but so are some of the non-benzodiazepine medications. These, uh, a lot of times, is kind of easier to remember by the brand name. It's one of the few classes that, that I feel that way about because nobody's ever saying Ezopiclone or, well, Zolpidem they do use, uh, or Zalapon or Ramelton. A lot of people say Ambien, Lunesta, um, you know. If you listen to rap music, um, you know, no, they're not they're not talking about soap with them. They're talking about ambience, right? So, um, huh? Yes, I'm gonna. Well, I, I say always, but then I didn't do it in the last exam, so I kind of feel bad now. But yes, I would I would make sure for this one that they are all there for every one of them. Uh, so we have our orexin antagonist. Oh, there's literally one medication in the class. Okay, suvorexins. And then you have your over-the-counter medications, which is the ones we've probably messed around with at one point or another. I know I have. Uh, melatonin, <laughs> all the time. Yep. Um, it works, kind of. Not really, I guess. Uh, dipenhydramine, which is Benadryl. Um, not my favorite choice. <laughs> uh, and then you have doxalamine, which is also a type of um, antihistamine medication. We talked about it for what? For nausea, vomiting, and pregnancy. Awesome. Was it first line? Paradoxine was first line, and it was given with or without it as an adjunct. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And you guys remember stuff. I like that. I got some compliments today on Oski Farm stuff, and it made me feel pretty good because I got a lot of insults about the when you guys did the what was that the the Wednesday? No, it wasn't GI. It was Endo, but it was one of those like Wednesday after lab Sim. sessions. Sim lab. Sim lab. That's what it's called. There we go. Yeah, this recording's awful. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So SimLab, yeah, I got some, I heard some bad stuff, and I was, like, disappointed. 
They were like, these people don't know anything. They literally told, they, they, I was told by other faculty members that you guys told them that you didn't cover diabetic ketoacidosis treatment at all, and that's why you didn't know the answers to the questions. And I was like, legit spent, like, I was like, sips. We literally talked about sips. Yeah. Um, but then today I got a lot of compliments, so I felt good. They were, nice. they were like specifically on the farm. They were like, "Wow, that was fantastic!" And you know, you're calling cap. Yeah, that's a lie. What? Calling cap. Yeah. Yeah. On your feedback that you got from whoever, we're calling cap. Oh, that was you guys. You're calling cap. I thought you said we're calling cap. I was like, what is calling cap going to have to do with anything right now? I was so yeah, sports, sports. Um, so we've got, um, yeah, this recording is getting derailed every second. Um, <laughs> we have our serotonin antagonist and reuptake inhibitors, which is trazodone, which we're not going to talk a whole lot about because we're going to talk about it extensively in later modules. And we have coral hydrate, which I had never heard of uh, before I prepared this lecture. Um, and apparently is used in pediatric populations uh, for procedural sedation. Um, so I guess those kids that I can't stitch in the urgent care and I send them off, I guess that's what they get before they get their procedures done. Um, but even then, no, because I've, I've seen it and they don't use, they usually don't use this medication. I haven't seen it used a lot. Have any of you heard of it? Yeah. Yeah, I assume that's one of those things that's in the book, but, but not used often. So. And I've also never, ever been tested on that medication, um, ever, on the pants, at any point. Or had anyone ever asked me anything about it. So benzodiazepines, uh, we covered when we were talking about what? Seizures. We talked about, we were talking about seizures. Um, this is the most commonly used drug for insomnia. It doesn't mean it's the best drug to be used in insomnia, but it is the most commonly used. Um, a lot of times it treats multiple conditions, and it's really good for patients who have other comorbid conditions like anxiety and things like that, um, which is a lot of times why it's used. Uh, the reason that it's not well tolerated by a lot of populations, especially elderly populations, is because it increases risk of falls, it causes drowsiness, it um, decreases coordination and cognition, so it's, it's not a great medication to use um, long term, but you're going to see that it is used a lot of the time long term, because out of the options we have, it's kind of one of the preferred ones. Um, a lot of times patients who are on benzos, when they wake up, they don't feel uh, well rested, so it'll help them fall asleep, stay asleep, it'll help with uh, anxiety-related issues related to sleep and other psychological disorders related to sleep, um, but it should be used at its lowest possible dose. Uh, and a lot of times, the patients still feel tired when they when they wake up. Falls and well, hip fractures is not something I don't want. It's not like um, when we talk about corticosteroids that they cause osteoporosis. It's literally hip fractures or any fractures because of falls. Period. So doesn't lead specifically to increased risk of hip fractures. It just leads to increased risk of falls and any kind of fractures associated with those falls. Uh, thorazepam is uh, the highest likelihood of causing dizziness and falls in elderly patients, so it should be avoided. A lot of these uh, insomnia medications, it's not something that the patient should be taking routinely on a daily basis. It's something they should use when they're having issues sleeping. Not everyone with insomnia has insomnia all the time. Um, so it's a medication that you're not giving on a routine basis, you're giving it as needed. The treatment course isn't recommended for longer than six months, especially if they're using the medication frequently.
uh, on the bottom right, you'll see the some of the pharmacokinetics for the individual uh, medications. Things that are important for you to know there is specifically uh, temazepam has less of a hangover effect, which means you don't feel as groggy and tired the following day, um, which is one of the reasons why it's it's one of the more preferred medications to be used. And specifically that fluorazepam, we said it was contraindicated in elderly, it's because high levels accumulate and the medication has more hangover effects. So keep that in mind. So for the non-benzodiazepine uh, GABA-A agonist, uh, we have all those medications that are difficult to pronounce. Uh, Esopiclone, Zopidem, uh, Zalapan, and uh, Rameltion. Rameltion. That sounds good, right? Rameltion? I like that pronunciation. So uh, these medications are really good at initiating sleep. Um, they are not necessarily good at maintaining sleep. So they work really well uh, for the patients to actually start falling asleep, but a lot of times they don't get long-term restful sleep, with the one exception of uh, Zolpidem, which has an extended release formulation or controlled release formulation. Okay. So um, the way the medication works in the controlled release form is that it has, um, it has like a coating on it, and half of it will dissolve quickly and knock you out, and then the other half will dissolve slowly and keep you knocked out. So uh, is that important to know? Yes, because if I ask you which one is going to help um, initiate and maintain sleep, you're going to pick the controlled release version of Zolpidem. And we usually say we don't care too much about formulations, but when we do care about it, I'm going to make sure you know, and we definitely care about this one, so you definitely should know it. It's ambient. So uh, patients who have, who are elderly, again, really all of these medications you want to use caution elderly because all of them can cause uh, dizziness, increased risk of falls. Um, and this medication specifically can lead to respiratory depression. And if it's used with other central nervous system depressant medications, it can significantly increase the risk for respiratory depression and death. So you avoid this medication with other medications like benzos or any other medication that can suppress the central nervous system. Mechanism of action we already talked about. They literally bind to the GABA receptors and allow more chloride to flow into the neuronal cells, which will make them less excitable and likely to depolarize. Um, works really, really, really well. Uh, they're very similar to benzodiazepines in terms of their like uh, chemical structure. And so a lot of their side effects and, and are going to be very similar. Um, so, and it's also addictive, um, it has addictive properties just like benzos, um, and the mechanism of action is uh, very similar. Uh, and just like benzos, it's useful for patients who suffer from anxiety, stress, and uh, physical ailments or discomfort that are preventing them from, from getting restful sleep. Uh, so pharmacokinetics for this medication, really the only thing that I want you to know, um, I don't need you to know that the you know, which ones are protein-bound and non-protein-bound, but the metabolism, um, the CYP3A4 enzyme is important because you may be tested on that um, in terms of met metabolic processes. On my exam, I don't think so necessarily on the pants, but you may on mine. There's a lot of different medications that function on this enzyme, um, which leads to either increased or decreased levels of this drug, and we'll talk about that in a second. So, 
when it comes to side effects, some of this medication has some interesting ones. Um, I know there's a lot of side effects. I, that's already a very minima, minimalized list um, of what I was able to kind of dwindle down. Um, but things you should know is sleepwalking and dizziness or vertigo. Um, elevations in blood pressure, you should definitely know. <coughs> Altered depth perception, yes. So it causes tinnitus, but it's not one of the more common medications for this, so I really don't want you to flood your brain with that thought um, because there's medications that you should know more for that. Like what? Which one? Which one? I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Ophloxacin? Does ophloxacin cause tinnitus? It's definitely not a common one. Loop diuretics? Yes. It, it may, you may be right, it's not one I know for it, which means it's probably not a, like a big, a big side effect. Uh, ophloxacin, one of the important things I remember about is that it's the only eardrop you should use in uh, any kind of ear infection with a perforated tympanic membrane, which is why I only use that medication. So if I ever put it in someone's ear and didn't see a perforation, they're fine. Um, so loop diuretics. SSRIs. SSRIs? Not sure. Aspirin, huge. And aminoglycosides. Those are the three. Those are the three biggest medic. I'm sure there's a hundred medications out there that cause tinnitus. Those are the three that they test you on all the time: aminoglycosides, diuretics, and aspirin. Not relevant at all to this exam. Um, so you do not need to know tinnitus for uh, the non-benzos um, because it's it's not a, a very common side effect. Um, if you ever have a patient with tinnitus and you're wondering, like, hey, is this medication induced? You're literally going to have to sit there and go medication by medication and see if, like, hey, can this thing cause it? Um, so altered depth perception, you should know that. Uh, GI symptoms, don't worry about. Most medications can do those. Nothing unique there. Um, the general urinary, I wouldn't worry about those either. Uh, mild anterior grade amnesia, I would know that. And it's also, I think, also prevalent in benzos. So the patients have a little bit of difficulty forming new memories or remember things that are currently happening. So they'll have fine recollection of past memories, but it can affect a little bit their current memory of events that are happening uh, at the time. So no balance issues, no anterograde amnesia, no um, increases in blood pressure, as well as um, the, you know, sleepwalking and things like that. So they will test you with these medications and alcohol use, um, contraindicated in patients who drink, um, contraindicated in patients who suffer from alcoholism. So do not take with alcohol because you have increased effects, increased risk of uh, respiratory depression, and alcohol is a thing uh, that a lot of people consume. So you need to know about it because it's very easy for you to prescribe this to somebody who drinks. So very easy for you to further suppress their respiratory drive and very easy for you to kill them by accidentally uh, giving them this medication uh, without educating them first or making sure that they're not going to be at risk. We always tell patients, we literally, every, if a patient ever asks me, is it okay to drink on this medication? My answer is always just, no. no. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't care. Just, no, my answer is no. It's very easy. And you can stop drinking for a week, right? It's fine. Um, but there's other medications where, because patients kind of catch on to that and they're like, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. I'm still going to have a drink. But anytime I'm prescribing something like Metro, I'm like, hey, no, like, you don't understand. Like, really don't drink. You're going to mess yourself up. I was like, you're really going to, you know, make an emphasis. This is one that you make an emphasis. You cannot drink out of medication, you will die. Right? 
So any medication that has that functions on the same uh, CYP3A4 enzyme um, can either decrease or increase levels. Uh, if they're competing for it, they're going to decrease levels of the medication because there's not going to be enough circulating of the enzyme. So uh, medications that do this is cimetidine. As you can see, we've talked about cimetidine in literally like every single drug as far as interactions go, which is why nobody prescribes it. Um, Rifampin, phenytoin, um, and carbamazepine. Uh, I would pay particular attention to medications that work in the same, like right now we are learning about phenytoin, we're learning about carbamazepine, so I would keep those highlighted because it's very good for me to include them um, as part of questions because it covers two different topics in the same module we're doing, so pay attention to those. Uh, medications that increase drug levels, uh, I'm not going to test you on those, not commonly tested concepts. A lot of antifungals interact with a lot of medications. So the, uh, antifungals is another medication that anytime I'm prescribing, I exercise a lot of caution. I put them into interaction checkers, and I make sure I'm not doing any, uh, making any mistakes. So you guys need to start picking up as far as, you know, for clinically. Whenever you start seeing medications that you are popping up on a bunch of lists for, oh, interaction for this, interaction with that, you need to have those in your mind. Because anytime you're either going to prescribe them or see somebody on them and are going to prescribe them something, you need to be careful um, and, you know, like raise antennas and do a very, very thorough um, search of, you know, are you going to have interactions. You guys are going to notice when you're, um, when you're practicing that sometimes you're going to be like, oh, no, it's fine. I have to be thorough for everybody. I don't need to worry about that. Every patient i got to be thorough. You're going to notice a lot of times you're going to be tired, you're going to be busy, you're going to be moving fast. But things like that, when you see them, you need to be like, all right, let me stop for a second. This is important. i got to slow down whatever I'm doing and make sure I don't make a mistake here. So... Um, keep those medications in, in mind. Uh, so do not use with alcohol. We have that again. Uh, do not use with other sleep aids, okay, whether prescription or over-the-counter. Uh, elderly patients who are at increased risk for respiratory depression, you need to have them on a very low dose. Um, and obviously, if these medications work quickly, you want to take them right before you're planning on falling asleep. So, you know, it's not going to be like, ah, I'm going to sleep in a few hours, I'm just going to pop one of these now. Um, they work quick, so take them right before bedtime. It, you want the patients to be getting at least four hours of, of restful sleep in order for them to be on the medication and continue taking it. If it's not working well enough to get them four hours of sleep, then just not worth the risk of giving it to them. All right? um, and the patient should expect to be getting a full night's sleep, so six to eight hours. Um, if not, they shouldn't take it. Some people will like to use these things for like, hey, you know what, I got like a two-hour flight, I just want to knock out on a flight. This is not a medication for that, okay? Um, you will be asleep for longer than that. The medication is addictive, so you don't use it for things like that, even though people use it for things like that. But patient education. you got to do your part. Uh, so how long can you keep a patient on this medication? You don't want to be using them for more than 10 days. So you saw benzos, uh, you can use them a little bit longer. Um, but these medications, you do not use them that long. Ten days is your upper limit. Huh? Yes. Short-term use. Are patients on these for a lot longer? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, you'll see it all the time. Uh, any patient who's used the medication for over two weeks and has used it often, uh, when withdrawn from the medication, will experience uh, withdrawal effects. They're going to have a high risk for it, at least.
There was no Celsius. Uh, so I had to get a monster. <laughs> Not a fan. So uh, the orexin receptor antagonist, there's only one medication in the class. In the class Suvorexin. Belsombra. A lot of these medications are so much better with brand names. Yep. Yeah. yeah the first time we, we, we can see eye to eye on this. So this... This medication works, um, it, it doesn't directly inhibit uh, dopamine or acetylcholine, but it inhibits orexin, which is going to then decrease all of those other neurotransmitters, okay, indirectly. So this medication is good not just for patients to fall asleep, but it works really well to keep them asleep. So it works for initiation and maintenance. Um, I'm not going to test you guys on the schedules of the medications. It, the pants doesn't doesn't do it often. Bless you. That was yeah, that was interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to test you guys on the schedules. So you don't need to memorize the schedule of the medications. I don't I don't think the pants does that. And if they do, it, that's going to be one of those questions that would take take an L on. Yeah. Yeah. That and the pediatric milestones. <laughs> <laughs> and the vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. Just happy birth, influenza, six months, everything else, pediatric uh, vaccination chart. Yeah. That's just me, though. I mean, you, can, you, can, you can integrate it into your memory if you want. Um, so as far as adverse drug reactions go, which ones do you need to know? Um, so this is interesting. Uh, and so we've heard of sleepwalking. Uh, patients on this medication do some interesting stuff while they're sleeping. Um, get in a car and drive. Okay, yeah, driving. Uh, cook a meal and eat. And apparently, have sex. In their sleep. Yes. Interesting. I, I read that in the book and I was like, this can't be true. I need to look it up somewhere else. And it is facts. It's literally on like the medication uh, label. It's a thing. So should you know that these patients may be at risk for having complex behaviors uh, while they're on the medication? Yes, that's an adverse drug reaction that you should know. Not any of those specifically, but any complex activity during sleep. All right? So not just sleepwalking, uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, apparently having, making phone calls. I'd be upset if I made a phone call in my sleep. I think a lot of people are blaming the medication. Right? Oh. <laughs> I swear, I was on Belsamara. I didn't mean to quit my job. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so, a, with this medication, if you, um, if you take it with food, it decreases the, the onset of action, it decreases the effects of the medication, so uh, take it at night, before bedtime, um, and hopefully you're not eating immediately before bedtime. So yeah, side effects, the big ones um, were uh, amnesia, hallucinations, complex sleep behaviors, uh, increased risk of suicidal ideations. Okay, so if you have a patient who suffers from depression and is having issues sleeping, this would probably be a poor choice to prescribe. Okay? You would give something else, or if they suffer from anxiety and things like that, um, this is not a good medication because, again, it can exacerbate that. And you have other agents that will help them sleep and help reduce anxiety, which are better choices. 
So think about those things when you're thinking about which one's going to be a more appropriate um, option. From what I'm reading, I don't see blenders When would it be appropriate? Uh, it's, so some of the other medications, and again, this medication's not prescribed extremely often for that reason. A lot of times, benzos are used because they help for other conditions patients might be suffering from and don't have issues with other conditions. Because a lot of patients who have sleep issues do suffer from depression. And a lot of these patients are elderly. And a lot of these, so you're right, a lot of times this medication isn't used. But when, specifically, when you're going to be tested about this medication, it's going to be about what medications are good for initiating and maintaining sleep, and it's going to be about side effects, usually. Not about necessarily the indications. Indicated, just like a lot of these, this one's one of the first ones we read about that's good for initiating, maintaining sleep. Um, but yes, there's other options, because you have now the Ambien or the Zolpidem controlled release, which is good for initiating and maintaining sleep, and is not going to make you make a phone call and quit your job in your sleep. Um, so that's good. It's not going to increase your risk of suicidal ideation. Can you form words? Have actual normal speech because yes. usually people mumble. No, you can talk. Yeah, I've, I've, I've said things in my sleep. Yeah, yeah but you're like you mumble. It's not like a clear speech. No, I've had a full conversation. I've, I've, I mean, I haven't had a full conversation. Um, maybe one day I'll try Balsamra and see if, if I can pull it off. But yeah, no, you can't. You can't. I mean, yeah, some people mumble. You may mumble. But can you have a coherent uh, words while you're sleeping? Yes. But most people, when they're sleeping and they're not on the medication, they, yeah, they tend to mumble. Sometimes people their eyes open, sometimes they have closed. I've slept walking. You can, you can have your eyes open while you're sleeping, yes. I've had a friend walk out to the street, his parents like had to wake up. My cousin, so in the, other, in the house I used to live in, we had our main house and we had like a like an efficiency. I mean, it was high right? We all got efficiency. Um, and my cousin, my cousin lived in the efficiency. And he used to get up and come to our house to hang out with us in his sleep all the time. And he'd almost <laughs> hit the door and you go look at him and he's just knocked out. <laughs> awesome. I used to sleepwalk a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. You know people used to wet the bed? I used to sleepwalk to go pee somewhere that wasn't the bathroom. <laughs> it, it wasn't always a problem until it was my brother's N64. Oh. Sounds like a convenient thing to put in Balsamra. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was, it was not the Balsamra. It was just me. <laughs> All right, so back on the rails. Oh, we have another question. Then they are going to be more prone to sleepwalking. Yeah. And not contraindicated. It's not like an absolute contraindication. Hey, this person sleepwalks can't go in Balsamra. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be the case. But are they going to have an increased risk? Yeah, probably. You do not strap people down. Yeah, no. That's not part of the. <laughs> that is not part of the uh, appropriate management of a patient with insomnia. Um, yeah. So, uh, can impair daytime wakefulness? We've seen this trend with pretty much every one of these medications. Um, the patients wake up and they, you know. It's not to the extent of some of the other medications, like the benzos are really bad at that, where the patients wake up and they don't feel well rested, but again, sometimes the patients can, um, can still feel tired during the daytime. And so you need to monitor the patients in the daytime, make sure they're not having continued symptoms of respiratory distress the following day. So a lot of times, that even if you discontinue the medication because it does cause um, respiratory depression or it causes 
decreased daytime wakefulness in patients, that effect can take a while to uh, subside or self-resolve. Another medication that you don't give, for the same reasons you don't give the other medication with alcohol, you do not give it with anything that can cause uh, central nervous system depression because it will increase the risk of it. So again, no alcohol. So we have the over-the-counter medications. Um, they are not going to test you on a lot of these medications when it comes to sleep. Benadryl for sleep, uh, it's not really the main indication of Benadryl. Benadryl is an antihistamine. If you have a patient who is suffering from uh, rash or nausea or something else and they're having trouble sleeping because of it, yeah, it's a good choice. Um, but in and of itself, if somebody's having trouble sleeping, you tell them to take Benadryl. This is another medication that does not cause uh, restful sleeping. Uh, when you sleep on Benadryl, a lot of times, again, you wake up and you're not well rested. Uh, melatonin, you may be asked because it's a pretty good first-line recommendation to patients who are having issues sleeping. Um, the only issue with melatonin is as you take it, you suppress your own production of melatonin. So, it's again, it's, it's not like addictive or habit-forming where you're going to be wanting to pop melatonin all the time, but you're going to become reliant on it to sleep. And if you don't take it, you're going to have difficulty sleeping because you're not going to be producing melatonin. Uh, but it is one of the safest options and one of the initial options that you should consider in most patients that are having issues sleeping. Um, it's over-the-counter, so a lot of patients are going to tell you that it doesn't work. Um, but it is what it is. So we are going to cover in later topics tricyclic antidepressants and trazodone. Um, very significant adverse effects, um, so not used commonly for insomnia specifically. But in patients who have other conditions, migraines, uh, depression, things like that, you may be using the medication because it helps with multiple things at the same time. And then we have the chloral hydrate, which we just talked about it for children. I'm not going to test you guys on it. I don't think anyone will. Uh, so the complete opposite of, actually, not the complete. So narcolepsy is not a problem um, falling asleep and maintaining sleep, it's being too good at falling asleep and maintaining sleep. Uh, usually people who have narcolepsy, when they fall asleep, they maintain that sleep for quite some time. Um, it's not like, you know, when you're in class and you just had like an OSCE and you're like dozing off and you wake up every five minutes and just start nodding. Yeah. It, who, who's one professor that you feel the worst falling asleep in their class? Deano. Me too. Yeah, me too. I would be in his class and I'd be exhausted and I'd be trying. I was sitting in the front of the class. You guys have this layout, but we used to have like a regular room where you know you're like all just lined up, and I'm sitting in the front and I'm just like <laughs> one eye open, and I'm doing all sorts of stuff to stay up, like scratching my head, and, and you know you're in and out, and you open your eyes and you look right at you, and you're like, damn, disappointed, down. Me too, damn. I'm glad you guys didn't just say me because I'm here. <laughs> really? Oh, you're, you automatically assume you're allowed to fall asleep on high class. Wow. That's not true. I wouldn't say anything. I would definitely say something, but it would be funny. Cheers. <laughs> All right, back on the rails. Um, the recording. The recording.
It has failed miserably. Somebody dump this into the garbage archive. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, so the goal of treatment in narcolepsy is to make sure that people don't fall asleep in the middle of important activities um, and have terrible quality of life. Because obviously, if you're falling asleep, uh, your job's not going to be happy with you if you're falling asleep in the middle of work. Um, your uh, driver's license and police officers will not be happy with you if you fall asleep in the middle of traffic. Um, so your goal is to prevent that from happening. And you do that by giving stimulant medications, um, which work on dopamine receptors to keep people alert and awake as long as possible. The preferred medication to do this is modafinil. So what do you need to know about narcolepsy? Um, that people fall asleep and they stay asleep for up to 30 minutes and that you treat it with modafinil. And that should be the extent of the questions that you are asked. We're not going to be asked about rhythm. You are not going to be asked about rhythm. And then you have cataplexy, um, which is patients who literally suddenly lose um, all muscle tone and fall. And these patients are treated with TCAs um, or fluoxetine and other antidepressants, which we're going to cover in later lectures. Okay. And that concludes. <laughs>